Welcome to the Two Peas on a Pod podcast, coming at you live early this morning, and uh, we're so thankful that you tuned in to us on this day. It's been a cold but sunny day today in Easter Kentucky, where I'm at right at this very moment, and uh, we are so glad you came on the podcast, and we got some good stuff coming to you today, and uh, in this Why I Believe series, we are going to talk about Calvinism today, and uh, this is a topic that when me and Brother Zach talked about the Why I Believe series, this was a topic that I felt like needed to be addressed immediately um, as soon as we could get to it, and uh, in my travels, I have uh, came uh, and I have, I should say, seen this, and other pastors have seen it, and uh, I've preached against it and different things, and so it's, it's here Calvinism has always been here for a long time, um, but the doctrine is coming back um, more more so than it was for a while. I should say we're we're seeing it affect our holiness movement, and uh, and so with me today is a good friend of mine um, at this very moment, um, pastors in Gilberttown, Alabama. And uh, his name is Brother Shane Persley, and uh, we are doing via Zoom call, And uh, but we are so glad to have him today. Thank you for coming, Brother Shane. Hey, it's good to be here, Brother. appreciate your invitation to come. Uh, kind of question your sanity a little bit, getting getting some little old peon on here to talk about something so important so i don't know you may you may lose a large percentage of your audience before this is over well me and zach are two peas on a pod so if you're a peon i guess we'll all just be together <laughs> but <laughs> uh good. we uh we we've not known each other for a super long time and uh but most people that's listening to this podcast knows i'm a full-time evangelist and uh somewhere about september i think of 2020 <laughs> Um, I was working in a refinery building scaffold back at my old job because COVID hit and I couldn't work and everything was shut down. So I had to go back to my tools and uh, I was 160, about 170 feet in the air working on a big tall scour, uh, scaffold tower and the Holy Ghost got to moving all over me telling me it's time to go. It's time to hit the road again. And uh, I prayed it through and uh, felt like the Lord moved on me to go to Alabama. I didn't even hardly know nobody. And uh, long story short, I just kind of went on faith. And uh, I had let about two pastors know I was coming that I had known before. And uh, just a handful of pastors knew I was coming that way. And uh, But you never met me before at all. And uh, just a friend of ours, Brother Seth Cowart, had been on this podcast before. And uh, he made a phone call and kind of uh, put a plug in for me. And I was really impressed with you, Brother Shane, because you didn't know me from Adam. And you booked me like a solid month of just places all around that area. And uh, I was like, wow, this guy don't even know me. I could be a nut. And uh, he's putting his name out there. And uh, But anyways, it, it, it turned out really good. And we just preached. We was in Alabama for about two and a half months, I think. We done like a big U shape, and uh, so we had a we had a lot of fun, and we ended up staying at your place for a month. <laughs> and it wasn't my fault. I told you, I said I would leave, but you won't let me. Well, I had uh, I didn't really know you, and uh, 
but I had had great confidence in Brother Seth Coward. He's a he's a precious friend of mine, and and he highly recommended you. And there were a couple of other guys. I sort of checked you out and asked a few guys, Brother Rick Simpson, a few others that oh, kind no. of give you a pretty good recommendation. So, uh, you know, I didn't have any trouble. I didn't have any trouble trying to help you get some places. So I think was, pastors uh, they could be good. good FBI agents if they wanted to be. Oh man, we we know how to run. We know how to run <laughs> your background down. Yeah, I'm telling you, we we can we can find out what we need to know about you and whether or not you're going to hurt us. You know. Yes, sir. Well, but, I don't uh, blame I, you. You got to do that. You, though, you know, you've probably got some guys that are listening that might might be wondering about you coming to their area. I can highly recommend Brother Austin to come. But pastors, let me warn you: if you're going to let him park on your on your premises, uh, go ahead and park him as far away from your facility as you can, because <laughs> he might he might back into something if you're not careful. Oh goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Yeah, you already know it was coming. Yeah. Well, you do know this ain't live, so I can edit everything out. I know, but I'm kind of <laughs> hoping you leave it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, rule of thumb, don't try to back up with two kids on your lap because you'll end up hitting the no, pastor's it's pole. A, <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, man. Especially at Brother Shane's church because for the next the rest of eternity i'll never live it down no sir no sir <laughs> oh man but we became good friends and uh yes, sir. i just i just take it in good fun but i will have to say ever since then i don't think i've really hit anything i'm trying to rack my brain i don't think i've really backed in to anything else i've tried my best to be very cautious and very good and try not to uh try to back out of where my camper is parked out with kids on my lap anymore. I learned my lesson from that one. And Brother Shane likes to remind me about it all the time. But I will say, I can, that's about the only time I can remember doing that in almost going on three years of evangelizing. So I don't think that's too bad. And uh, But we just we became good friends after um, what little time it's been a year and a half or so and we've stayed in contact pretty pretty well but i remember when we was parked there you know i'd come to your office we we talked off and on different times and uh, we got to talking about this topic of calvinism and you got to telling me your testimony and uh when i started this podcast you was one of the first people that i told brother zach i wanted to have on here and uh just because i don't know how many people knows it and uh but i think it's something that needs to be known and i think this is a topic that needs to be addressed and what better place to address it than on a podcast and uh for you know for young people middle-aged people older people whoever's listening to know that there is false doctrine out there we know that but this is a doctrine that the devil is trying to sneak in on us and uh people are falling for it it's it's split churches and uh, people, if it's caused a lot of issues. And so, Brother Shane, without further ado, um, I'm just going to turn this over to you. I'll interject as less as possible where everything begin with you. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. This is a subject that, that needs some attention. Uh, you know, it, it is has begun to affect our churches. I, our church personally uh, lost a family to Calvinism, a very large, prominent family uh, that was – very instrumental Sunday school teachers, musicians, singers. We we lost uh, we lost a good prominent family into a Calvinist church, and so 
you know, it, it is something that uh, is on the rise in America. I think even those who are among the reform traditions are boasting it, how much growth they're having among their own churches. And we're seeing it creep in, like you said, in our churches. I think it needs to be addressed. For those who don't know, um, I got saved in a, in a little country missionary Baptist church. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I didn't know anything about God, Church of the Bible. I had never, to my knowledge, been in a church till I was about 14 or 15 years old. Um, to my knowledge, uh, and I say this in all honesty, to my knowledge, the night I got saved, I don't know if I'd ever held a Bible in my hand. Never quoted John 3.16, didn't wow. know what it was, but but God saved me. And I came to faith in that little country Baptist church, and the Lord called me to preach a couple of years later and started preaching in those churches and found myself really struggling with uh, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now, they were Baptist, and that doesn't necessarily make them a Calvinist, but they did have some Calvinist leanings, especially uh, in that in that latter point of Calvinism, that perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved. But as the more I preached and the more I studied and the more I tried to um, find out what I really believed that the Bible taught, I really struggled with that. And, and I was kind of at war in myself because if I if I rejected that doctrine of once saved, always saved, then I was essentially turning away from the church I got saved in and, and going to be turned out of it, did get turned out of it when I when I finally broke down and had a conversation with 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 our pastor and told him that I could no longer preach that doctrine, that I didn't think that it was biblical, um, they pretty well told me that they were going to be taking me off the church roll and withdrawing fellowship. And so it was a, it was a really difficult thing for me. So that was in, in sometimes starting around the summer of 2001, when I, when I started that process of exiting the, the, the Baptist faith, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in about 2001 and a little summer revival and an independent Pentecostal church um, and really struggled to, to find my place for a long time. We went to Cleveland Church of God Church for a while. My in-laws were Cleveland Church of God. My mother, my, my wife, uh, she was raised in the Cleveland Church. And I had a lot of, of conservative leanings and I struggled with going to that Cleveland Church because they were they were so liberal. And so I had a hard time um I had a hard time settling in with those with those churches. I wound up come across some Baptist churches that were not of the uh, once saved, always saved uh, persuasion. They actually believed that a man could fall from grace and they were receptive of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They didn't fight it. Um, I pastored two of those churches, uh, wound up uh, having having. Some good success, I think, pastoring in those churches, though they were Baptist in name, they were not Baptist in doctrine or practice. And the last church I pastored uh, there in Fort Payne, Alabama, the ex-pastor of that church was acquainted with Brother Steve Shanefell, who is uh, who is one of our great holiness preachers. And he would come, Brother Steve would come up to hear us preach at, in, at, at that church. He would, he would kind of fellowship us a little bit because they had such a good external standard we were practically holiness in 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 all aspects but the name on the sign and uh but uh brother steve i kind of got acquainted with the holiness movement through brother shaney fell and uh i think it was in 2011 i believe it was 
that we we left the church we were pastoring and went to church there at Trinity Holiness Church and stayed there for two or three years, wound up pastoring in Gilbert Town, been here eight years and am working on my last five services. I'm almost finished up here with my tenure here at, at Gilbert Town. I'll be finishing up the 23rd of this month. And uh, that's kind of how I got where I'm at. And I never thought when I come to the holiness movement that I would have to be circling around and dealing with these doctrines among these people like I did in the Baptist churches. But it is it is definitely becoming an issue in some of our church, churches. Like you said, it's splitting churches and and causing uh, causing some division. It's caused us problems here at Gilbert Town. Um, I know there are other churches that have had some issues with it. And, and quite frankly, um, I agree something needs to be done. Something needs to be done or said about it. Yes, sir. And uh, I guess I want to say right here is I think it's a big problem because this doctrine appeals to the flesh. And yeah. anything that appeals to the flesh, the devil's not going to fight it. You're like, well, we're really dealing with that. Really? Yeah, <laughs> you I know, so. it's almost like, really? Is the way I, you know, I've been raised in holiness almost all my life. And, and I got to studying, kind of looking at some stuff about what is this anyways. And I got to looking at it and I was like, well, this is just silly. You know, to me, it's like nothing to it. Yeah. And, uh, but this is the, it's real. It's real. People are uh, going this way. And so I guess one question I want to ask you is you said that, you know, you was a preacher amongst the Baptist folk. And, uh, and so what really triggered that moment where you're like, I know we talked about some stuff, you know, they had different beliefs. Uh, you didn't have, no, you weren't allowed to preach from notes and, uh, just different things you would talk to me about. Um, but what was, what was the trigger to like, man, I just don't believe this. Yeah. So we, th there were several very odd, you know, like you said, there were several very odd beliefs that they held that, uh, that kind of, I don't know, it, it really give me, give me a, a difficult time reconciling some of the things that they would believe that was just completely, totally unbiblical. You know, like that, they didn't want you to preach with notes. They didn't want you to study anything that was not. I mean, you were allowed to have a Bible, a Strong's Concordance, and a Webster's Dictionary. And if you quoted anything else literature-wise, then you were a liberal, you know. And it was almost like they discouraged deep, exegetical study of the Scriptures. And kind of what triggered it for me is, is despite their discouragement, you know, into really diving into into the scriptures and, and reading and not just taking what what old brother so and so said all them years is I really started looking at passages and I started asking questions. I would I would take a passage of scripture to my pastor and say, Hey, let me ask you about this. You know, right here Jesus speaks to his disciples and asks them a very pointed question, Will you also go away? Speaking of the multitudes that departed from him. And I would say, you know, if, if if you can't go away, why would Jesus ask them, will they also go away? And then I, I would take uh, I would take passages like out of Hebrews six, where, uh, you know, it would it would talk about apostasy. Second uh, Peter chapter two and verses uh, 20 through the end of the chapter was kind of the, the the verses that just absolutely nailed it down for me. That if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and were again entangled therein and overcome, 
The latter end was worse than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to depart from the holy commandment given unto them. And I would say, I would ask the pastors, you know, or the preachers, evangelists, pastors, whoever, what does Peter mean by this? And and with, without exception, the, the answer was always the same. You get to asking those kind of questions and you're going to get mixed up in bad doctrine and you're going to, you're going to be deceived and you're going to get away from the truth of the Baptist faith. And they never could give me a real exegetical answer. Right. And I just finally got to the place where I had to decide, you know, you're, they were telling me, believe what that book says, but in practice, they were not believing what that book said. And so I had to get to the place where the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back is I just decided that if I did not believe that it was found in this book, that I could not stand in a pulpit and preach it. And that's what I went and told the pastor. I cannot I cannot any longer in good conscience stand in the pulpit and tell somebody that no matter how they live or how they die, as long as they had some Bible school profession of faith or some salvation experience 20, 30, 40 years ago that make a difference how they've lived or how they die, that they're going to go to heaven when they die, then I can no longer do that. That was kind of the, the place I got to, you know. I really just started reading the Bible and taking it for what I felt like it, it genuinely believed, what I genuinely believed it said. And uh, that didn't sit well with, with a lot of them, as you can imagine. <laughs> I would say not. <laughs> I would and say then, absolutely you know, not. Right in the middle of this struggle, you know, I, I was right in the middle of this doctrinal struggle. I was conversing with a lot of pastors and having some problems. And my wife's brothers, both of her brothers, attended a little independent Pentecostal church uh, there in Albertville, Alabama. The name of the church was the Tabernacle of the Congregation Church. And we it's a little independent church. They were not holiness, but they were they were relatively conservative, pretty, pretty conservative in some regards. And I went to a summer revival and without even without even knowing that I should seek for the Holy Ghost. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just in worship service, just in the altar, worshiping and wanting God to give me some help and give me some direction. He baptized me in the Holy Ghost. And that's kind of after that happened, I come back and told my wife, I came back. She didn't go to revival with me that night. And I came back and told her, um, we just can't go back. If, if they now find out, I believe in speaking in tongues on top of the fact I don't believe in <laughs> once saved, always saved, they're going to burn us at the stake. So yeah, you're done. You're I, way I done. was done at that point. So, yeah, well, I appreciate you saying all that. And, uh, and yeah. so I want to ask you this question and, uh, we'll try to wrap it up on this first part of this episode. Then we're going to do a second part and, uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, doctrine of Calvinism and Brother Shane's going to try to just open it up to us and just dive into it. And we want to refute it on this podcast and feel like it's very needed. And so the question is why, why even talk about this? Why, why is this so important for us to address? Well, I think, I think there are a couple of reasons. Okay. Primarily what you believe about soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation what you believe about soteriology, whether you lean in a Calvinistic direction or an Arminian direction, to me really speaks volumes about what you think and believe about the nature of God. And I, I'm of the firm belief that if, you're, if your doctrine of God is not right, then you're going you're gonna to mess up in a lot of areas. You, you know, it's not just a matter of, 
of Trinitarian versus oneness, if your doctrine of God and the nature of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, if your doctrine uh, concerning the character and the nature of God is wrong, then you're going to veer off into all kind of directions. So to me, soteriology, if whether you believe in the Calvinistic persuasion versus the Arminian persuasion, the Calvinistic persuasion says some things about the nature of God that that I just can't reconcile. Number one, it, it, it quite blatantly, depending on who you listen to, states that God does not love everybody. And we know that searching the scriptures, that the, the Bible is extremely clear, in my opinion, that God is love and that that love is extended towards and expressed towards and offered to all of humanity. And if you if you come to the place where you believe, as the Calvinists would, that God does not love everybody, that he only loves the elect and that he only died for the elect and that he he is only interested in the salvation of the elect as they define it then you're 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 way off base in my opinion about the nature of god so i think it's important that that your your doctrine of salvation is right because it will it will really set the tone for what your doctrine of god is 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 concerning secondly i think it really does you 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 kind of alluded to this a while ago, I think it really does speak volumes as to what you think your responsibility as a Christian is and how you how you respond to the responsibilities that you've been given. I think that the Bible is clear that we as the children of God are called out of the world. We are called unto holiness. We're called to lay aside sin. We're called to to be sanctified and walk a righteous life and be righteous and strive toward that point. But if you if you really get down to the grassroots of of what Calvinism teaches, especially the the doctrine of once saved always saved, then it affects your attitude towards sin. Uh, case in point, when I was was still among the Missionary Baptist faith, there was a very prominent pastor that I preached for on on a dozen occasions or more who was so, so set in the once saved, always saved doctrine that I had heard him say on a multitude of occasions that he was so saved that he could die drunk in the arms of another man's wife. And before his cold body hit the floor, he'd be shouting on the streets of glory. Oh, my goodness. And he really, he really believed that. And and when you get down to the basis, while some of them would say they didn't believe that you could just sin and, 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 and get by with it, that was not in practice what they did. I can't tell you how many times I went to their funerals and somebody died drunk in an automobile accident or shot themselves or, or you know, died in prison with, with a drug overdose. Yeah. And, Without exception, brother, they'd always go to the pulpit, and I know he lived a bad life, and I know he did this, and I know he was involved in this. But, you know, I'm so thankful that he had a testimony that way back yonder in Bible school or back in revival when he was 15 years old, God saved him. And that's all that matters is that he was saved way back yonder. This doctrine really does propagate the license to sin. Yeah. It gives me and gives me the mentality that as long as I'm a part of God's fold, as long as I'm a part of his family, I can genuinely do anything I want to do at the end of the day and everything's going to be all right. Well, according and to I them, I, everybody can come to church at 10 years old and pray, pray through, get saved and then leave the very next day. 
leave and go out and sin, and for the next 70 years live like the devil and still go to heaven because 70 years ago they prayed through. Yeah. And they would argue and, and they would say, I, I, I dealt with this during that time period when I was really struggling over this. I would ask pastors and they would say, well, what we really believe is if that happens, if they claim to get saved and then they go back to sin, they really didn't get saved. Yeah. And that's all right for them to say that until the funeral came. And then when the funeral came, it really, that was not the way they didn't say, well, he never did really get saved. It was, well, he got saved. And despite the fact that he died in sin, he was saved. So it's really, it's a, it's a double, it's talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're trying to say, well, if you really get saved, you'll live for God and you won't go back and you won't, you won't do that. But at the same time, they're taking persons who did live in sin and, and hated God and, and strayed away from his way. And they're putting them into heaven if they die like that. And it was really, it's really just propagates a license to sin, in my opinion. I remember one night I was working uh, late in the refinery at that moment. I was a, a lead man and I had two other guys in the truck. And uh, the other guy, he was uh, backslid out of the uh Church of God, I think it was. He's, you know, he said he told me. So I knew I was saved. I knew I was saved. You know, all this stuff. And uh, the guy in the back seat was from a Calvinist uh, believing church. Uh, and so I was telling him, I was like, man, you can come back to the Lord. You know, we'd love to have you at our church, but you can, you know, you can get saved. You can come back to the Lord. You can repent of your sins, and God can, you can recover. You can be the prodigal. You can come home. And you know, I was just preaching all that stuff to him. And then the guy in the back seat pops up, and he's like, you know, if you're not saved right now, then all of that, and he was like, you know, I prayed and felt God and all this stuff. I prayed and God saved me. He was like, you was never saved in the first place. And that that guy that was backslid, and I'm laughing, it ain't funny, but that guy that was backslid, he kind of had some temper issues, and he was like, I'm telling you what I knew I saved. I was saved. He's like, I'm telling you, you wasn't saved. You you don't backslide. Yeah. You just you wasn't saved in the first place. And they was arguing, and uh, I was like, "All right, y'all gonna have to quit it. We gotta go to work." And uh, but you know, it's it's real. It's real, and it's it's crazy. And the thing about it is, is if that same pre if that same guy that was in the back seat, if he was if he was attending the Calvinist guy's church, or his mama attended the church, or his or he was kin to the pastor or something else, they would not have got up at the funeral if he died they would not have got at the funeral and said he never had been saved it would have been he died out of fellowship there was something they used to say a lot was he died out of fellowship with the lord and uh and but as best i can tell if you're out of fellowship with the lord then then you're hell bound you know yeah but i remember listening to uh a lot of people across the whole country listening to david jeremiah he's got you know all kinds of books and uh, I remember listening to a message one time now. he I mean, he's this is what he believes. You know, a lot of these people, people listen to like Adrian Rogers and David Jeremiah. You know, you need to realize what they believe. Make sure you know your stuff before you go listen to these guys because they'll mess you up. They'll, they're going to try to, they're slick. They're going to try to mess you up. And I remember David Jeremiah one time, he was preaching and he said, if you're forgiven of your sins, um, you can never be found guilty of those sins again. All condemnation is forever gone. And uh, I wrote that, I quoted him. I wrote it down as a quote and put it in a message one time. I was kind of refuting Calvinism. And uh, this is what he said, Brother Shane. He said, so when you sin, this is, and I quote, so when you sin and do something you shouldn't do, 
You don't have to go to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness so you won't be condemned. You ask for forgiveness so your relationship can be restored. But through all that time, and he really pushed this point, he said all that time there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ. You know, David Jeremiah preaches on the radio all the time. I mean, people listen to him. It's hard to tell how many people listen to him. And he kept pushing it. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation. And I remember listening to the radio one time. We was going down the road, and uh, Adrian Rogers plays around here a lot. And uh, we turned on the radio, me and my wife, going down the road. And he was preaching on uh, Noah and the Ark of Safety. And, I mean, he was preaching great. Preached about Noah, preaching good, preaching good. Then he got to his last point about how the Ark is safe. And uh, the I think he the Ark of Safety, I think his last point was um, the security of the Ark, I want to say. And in that point, he said, this is what he said, Noah couldn't get out of the Ark if he wanted to. <laughs> God shut the door and he was in there until the door was going to be opened. He couldn't get out if he wanted to. And when your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven forever. Wow. And I thought when he started doing it, I just started laughing. I thought, boy, that is slick. For somebody yeah. that's really trying to push that, if you didn't know better, you'd be like, wow, that makes sense. But it, yeah. it's ignorant. It's absolutely ignorant. Well, it's 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 completely exegetically unbiblical. Um, you know, even, even the Apostle Paul talks about uh, how... Uh, I, can't, I wish I had the scripture. I just, just thought about it here. But he talks about how that he... He, he feared lest while he had preached to others, he himself became yeah. a castaway. Right. We're talking about a man that wrote the majority of the New Testament, wrote more books in the New Testament than any other single writer. And he himself was concerned that he could preach and be anointed and help and start churches and see converts. And he, at the end of the day, could be a castaway. I mean, you just there's so many passages like that, brother, that that are very blatantly clear that you have to just either overlook or explain away in some, in some irrational manner to get to the place where you could accept some of this other stuff that guys like that are preaching. You just have to totally overlook very clear passages in the scripture. And the thing is, is, Hey, I agree. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ exegetically, the, the no condemnation comes to those who are in Christ. But Paul defines that quite clearly and says, if any man be in Christ, he is right. a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. But if you if you get to the place where those old things are not passed away and you are living again in sin, then you are not in Christ. You're outside of him. You're in danger. You're supposed and to take it, off the old coat and put on yeah, the take off new the coat. coat. <laughs> yeah. Crucify the old man with his deeds. It's not just a matter of something that transpires. This is what they would always say. Well, well, the heart was right, but they externally, they were outside. They just weren't living like God told them to do. But the scripture said to crucify the old man and his deeds. Well, you're not going to convince me that you're crucifying that old man if you're still performing his old deeds. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it seems quite clear to me, and it, it does to a large portion of, of theologians as well, just not the ones of a, of a Calvinistic persuasion. I heard that. And, uh, you know, you just can't, you can't be dirty and clean at the same time. 
And I've often said in my preaching, if you're kind, if you're kind to clean, you're fully dirty. If you're kind to saved, you're fully lost. There's only two options. You're either dirty or you're clean. You're either saved or you're lost. And if you're an habitual sinner without repentance, then you're lost. Yeah. Well, it will, you know, on the next episode, when we get a little bit into the, the first point there, we'll uh, we'll dive a little bit into yes, into some of that. And, and they, uh, you know, what they really believe about the depravity of man. Um, I don't know that they believe that a man ever. Well, as a matter of fact, I know a lot of them do not believe that you can be clean at all, that your nature is completely, totally 100 percent depraved and will never, ever be. Uh, like and unto Christ, you could never be holy in any regards or, or genuinely sanctified or clean until the resurrection of the dead and you receive a glorified body. So um, that's just that's that's part of the fallacy of their doctrine. Well, we have uh, addressed a little bit of it um, in these past 30 minutes, and uh, we've got Brother Shane Persley with us and uh, from South Alabama and uh, the place, the home of the, the fire ants. <laughs> when i pulled when i pulled in his place i'm telling you what my little boy um my little uh he's three three and a half now but little case you remember case he uh he got out there and he was like oh dirt i mean before i even got the fifth wheel off the truck he was ate up all the way down with them ants and i mean they turned into like little pimples and uh, I yeah. feel so sorry for that entire month. I couldn't even let my kids play outside hardly without watching them because of those ants. I thought, this is terrible. I'm ready to get back yeah. to Kentucky where kids are allowed to play outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, uh, and it's, it's really bad after it rains. You, you'll go out in my yard, brother, and uh, there won't be an ant bed inside. And you let a good, hard, soaking rain oh, set in. And it'll run them up out of the ground, and there'll be ant beds everywhere from here to Georgia. Yeah, and they're big, too, them mountains are. I mean, they oh, might yeah, be two I've foot tall or something. Yeah, I've seen them high, brother. I've seen them high. There'll be millions of them in there. I mean, they'd about kill you if they got a hold of you. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I guess if you're used to it, you just don't think about it. But when you're from up north and you come down that far for about the, pretty much the first time, you're like, what in the world is this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyways. Well, we better jump off this podcast. Anyways, we appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. And uh, stay tuned for part two. We just talked a kind of little introduction um, to what we're going to talk about here. And Brother Shane's going to be with us again on this part two episode. And he's going to dive in to this topic of Calvinism. And we are going to examine the tulip. And I ain't talking about a flower either. We're talking about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. The five-fold plan of the Calvinists. We're going to take it down next episode. See you later. The Lord says to me, my child, well done. There will be no regrets for me. I'll be